This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. I'm James Graham, Director of Publications at Columbia GSAP and the school's imprint, Columbia Books on Architecture and the City. During the opening days of the 2017 Chicago Architecture Biennial, Columbia GSAP co-hosted the conference Making Books Now with biennial curators Sharon Johnson and Mark Lee. We invited biennial participants who have deliberately explored bookmaking in various ways as means to produce and express architectural thought. The event was structured as a series of conversations in which the architects were asked not to present their own work, but instead to engage and respond to one another's recent publications. This podcast is one in a series of six of these exchanges recorded at the Chicago Cultural Center on September 15th, 2017. This episode is a conversation between two architects considering the future of the American landscape. Keith Crumwitty, author of the recent Atlas of Another America, and Sarah Dunn, a partner in Urban Lab, whose recent book is titled Urban Lab Bowling. Thank you, James. This is the second time I've talked about work with Urban Lab, but the first time I'll talk about our work with Sarah, who I was very happy to meet this morning. I guess for me, like the discussions over the course of the day about you know, the process of making books, how books organize or help us organize our activities as architects, maybe come to conclusions as, as David and Ben were, are being forced to come to conclusions in some way, uh, is what's interesting to me today, but also the process of translating thought into books and maybe thinking of books as a form of architecture. Uh, and I think that you know, Ben spoke to that effectively, just like how books have formed all of us in the room in a way of how we come to our, understand ourselves as people who think about the organization and shape and appearance of the world. Yeah, no, I am super happy to be talking to you for the second time today because I, as I told you before, have been sort of internet stalking you for a while, Instagram stalking you. And I think everyone in the room has been stalking everyone else in the room. But I was so pleased that we were paired together because I know the, the day is kind of structured around the book and the making of the book and maybe some of the psychology of making a book and the, the drama and the long sufferingness of it but I was really interested in how our our two projects and I see our two books maybe slightly differently in the kind of list of books in that they are not monographs exactly they're maybe I don't know if we're allowed to say the word manifestos anymore but they're kind of asking a kind of what if question what if we used architecture or urban planning, urban design, to make a new way to live, or a set of new ways to live. And I'm super interested that we're both, I guess, control freaks, and we both came up with a set of rules. <laughs> and the, the books can, I think, I don't know if you would agree, can be read through this lens of, of the what if, and then the playing out of the then. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, the scale connects our books. Yeah. Maybe the... I, told James, I think earlier, we could talk about like green and blue yeah. for our books in some way, but they're both are kind of outrageous in the scales of, of work that they propose. For me, my what if question is a, a what if this had happened in, you know, 1860. Um, I think for you guys, it's like, what if we were to begin doing this now mm -hmm. or reimagining that infrastructure somehow has civic capacities and is able to 
not only service the world, but productively shape the public realm as a civic realm. For me, I think that's things that architects must be involved in, and it's where we can sort of exert our agency, right? Mm -hmm. and, and let our imaginations begin to maybe seed some other thought. We were talking this morning about like, you know, Sarah and Martin need like the WPA needs to exist again for their work to move forward, right? Mm -hmm. Some kind of organization, but I, I don't really know that that's absolutely necessary because the ideas that are spelled out in the book, which I think are so exciting, can be taken up and put to work by someone who finds, it, finds the argument compelling. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about how you, know, you wanted to make sure that the architecture was in the book, that it wasn't all infrastructure. Uh, and I think, uh, I love that the architecture, your architectural imagination is absolutely present and the critical role of architecture in relationship to in infrastructure is present. But the architecture is not necessary, I don't think. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm curious to hear what you think about that statement. You might hate it. But it's not necessary to imagine that the work Oh, you mean physical architecture? The, you, the specifics of your architecture uh -huh. in relation to the propositions that you put forward. I mean, maybe take the last project, which I think is, is really exciting to me, the, de the Death Valley. Mm -hmm. So it's just like completely absurd in a way that you're, we're going to pump all this water back up there. But we've done absurd things all the time as human beings. Um, but you, you, know, you have the continuous monument in there. There's a kind of architecture of that. I think is the project is not dependent upon, hmm. from my reading, because the, yeah. the proposition itself is like, oh, holy shit, yeah, that, that's not absurd, right? When you get down to it. Yeah. No, I think. I mean, maybe that's a particular uh, challenge and maybe tragedy of my book versus maybe your book it, that the architecture is sort of in mind maybe more emerging and yours kind of starts from the house, the single family American house. And I, I know the books are going out, but Keith's book is full of these really gorgeous paintings and obsessive drawings of typical house plans, but then like completely subverted by being sort of mirrored and mirrored and mirrored and mirrored. So what you actually get is you think you're looking at a suburban house, but you're really looking at a commune, and so maybe what kind of ties our two projects together is we're both secretly hippies. And I'm a 19th century hippie, and you're a... Right. And I need a tan. So, yeah. That's a, that was maybe a kind of internal challenge that you, maybe that's why the books are not monographs, but more manifesto-y, and that the ideas, one could take the idea and, and, and make one's own project out of it. That it's not about a set of built work or a set of projects from one office, but a kind of an idea put out there, and you know the idea might be complete fantasy, but it's, it's out there. It's out there also in a continuum. So I'm actually wondering, how does your book, what's its genealogy, or where does, what, what books come before it in a way for you? Vitruvius. It's a good one. No, it's, it's very consciously wants to exist in the space of sort of the, I wouldn't say the great architectural treatises that, you know, Vitruvius, Palladio, Serlio, but it's in that line, but channeled through the kind of explosion of pattern books and treatises in England in the 18th century, mm -hmm. where like, you know, the, the treatise was essentially like a marketing ploy, right? Like you, there was a printer tailor in London that was printing, you know, Sohn had one, his draftsman Gandhi had two. It was a way to just, this is what I can do. But it was also happening at a time 
when there was a great social transformation, you know, kind of enlightenment thought that sort of understanding as the individual, as an individual, capitalist started to, be, to liberate people from, say, the capitalist from place in a certain way, right? So you have the English country house, Neoplatonism, and architecture is serving that. And there are these amazing books, which are as much social propositions as they are architectural propositions. So they would have a, a short discourse often in the front. This is why, you know, the, the world is like this. We must serve the land and the gentry in this way. Here's my architecture, da 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 And then slowly there's a transformation to books that were actually about not the houses of the wealthy, but the houses of the working poor on the land of the, you know, basically working the land of the landowners. So there was a series of pattern books about houses for the working people. Mm. And sometimes, absurdly, some were like, the intention was to beautify the landscape as seen from the estate, right? So it was not about improving the conditions of the working class. It was about improving the aesthetic conditions of the, the landowner. There was a counter series of books, which was about actually a kind of project of improving the physical and uh, shaping the moral condition mm -hmm. of the working class. So it comes out of that really, which is why I would, I would prefer that this were like leather bound and, you know, like embossed blankly on the cover. And, and my publisher said I had to have an image on the cover, which I think is right, but wrong. And then I, at some point I made the mistake of referring to this as a fiction, which it is. And then they insisted that I have the subtitle of fiction. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I was able to get that off the cover, but it's on the title page. But really that you would pick it up. Ideally for me, you would pick it up and you wouldn't know when it was published. You know, like it could have been some crackpot in, you know, 1840 starting to like, you know, this would have been like the history of American housing, kind of alternative history of American housing. Mm -hmm. So that's its, its book sources. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's conceptual sources, it's philosophical sources are there. And I, you know, it's all cribbed. Like there's not hardly even a word in this book that I didn't pirate. There are some. But that was also really important too, to just put a bunch of, a lot of information in, build a world out of information that I collected and then let readers, I can't remember who mentioned this earlier about the importance of the book actually having space for the reader to construct their arguments. And I, I you know, like, I'm sort of interested also in, in again, the, the Death Valley project, mm -hmm. like the, the way that you and Martin also source, I don't want to call them precedents, but you source Super Studio, but other places you're sourcing throughout the book. You know, and you refer to Mulholland, so you're also these sourcing of just like great works mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe mad people and great works. Yeah, no, I think for us, we're in the book, we're trying to kind of construct an argument that has kind of genealogy and in architects intervening in the city and being located in Chicago. The Burnham 1909 plan is, is really important to the city and how we kind of think about the fact that actually the Burnham plan is so significant for the city and yet not so much of it was actually implemented or constructed and yet the the book the book of it and the kind of plan of it live on a hundred years later in the minds of of Chicagoans so if we could like kind of see the book as a kind of in that vein not that it would that you know it would last 100 years but it actually started from a project of thinking about what Chicago could be in 100 years. And uh, that seemed to be us kind of defeatist in that you could think about what Chicago could be today or maybe tomorrow we could get started, shovel ready. So we started thinking about that sort of that 
competition started this thinking of it and thinking kind of big, but also super small at an architectural scale. But then the Death Valley, yes, definitely were looking toward Mulholland's like huge reorganization of the landscape of like creating a city out of nothing, out of a desert, super studio with their really fantastic kind of imagining of how to live differently or how you want, which actually kind of maybe ties into your next project of, you know, what comes after this and that you're now thinking of a world without work and like reimagining what how do you live, what's your life, set of lifestyles in that way? I think it's really interesting that, that that is like for you the next thing. We're still just so happy that we got the book out that we don't really care. <laughs> My book came out a year ago. Though, right, so, so you, re- you I've recovered. I've had time to recover. Yeah. No, I mean that, that um, I mean I love the images in the back with the, uh-huh. the kind of the super studio-ish grid and these new lifestyles emerging on that. So yeah, and I th- you know, I think it's strange given what my book looks like, that I'm really interested in what the consequences of even some of the things that David and Ben were talking about. Uh, and now that I moved to Silicon Valley, I'm sort of in the middle of it, but you know, AI and the robots and when even the things that we do maybe will be you know, replaced by really smart machines building incredibly you know, beautiful worlds, what we might get up to as human beings. And I think that the home is the place that you have to start thinking about that, right? Like as the place where we actually do, even as a, individual family like mm-hmm. you know cohabitate right and make our world and so. that's maybe the, the death valley project is somewhat similar to that in that we are imagining a city a suburb and uh, kind of a town that might emerge out of a an excess of water all of a sudden in a, in a desert landscape that if you had an excess of water how could you live somewhat differently and then and they do all you know Similarly to your manipulation of the kind of suburban house, they rely to a large extent on each other in a kind of way that typically American style development doesn't and produce a kind of set of, of possible lifestyles that are like very related to yeah. yours. And that's why that project is so compelling to me. And you give three options, right, yeah. of what might happen. <laughs> you like so I love choices. Well, I, you know, I hate, well, I think most people hate not having choices, yeah. but then, the, and then the earlier project, which you said Martin was maybe not, didn't want to have in the book because it wasn't wet enough or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the name of it here in Chicago, the wall of housing yeah. around the stadium. But I mean, maybe most simply, my book is just pointing out the fact that the single family American house mask a set of um, interrelationships, right? And dependencies. Uh, it couldn't exist without, you know, subsidies that, that we all share in the cost of as citizens and taxpayers. You know, whether those are mortgage interest deductions or gasoline subsidies, infrastructural cost. You know, it essentially, it just, it masks collectivity, right? And it lets us pretend that we don't depend upon each other. And so, you know, like the Death Valley Project, and that's me putting the houses together, just saying, you know, like these are together. They just, in fact, are not spatially demonstrating that. Mm-hmm. and your Death Valley project and the wall project sort of work on that, right? Like, what would it be to actually, like, recognize the mutual dependencies to, you know, love each other in some way? That's a good way to end. What That's would it be to love to each end. other? I mean, the thing I was just thinking in this conversation is that one of the things I love about both of these books is that I think your architecture is uh, doing something that criticism is always supposed to do, which is to reveal to us uh, how we live, uh, how we might live, and help us understand this kind of 
the you know deeply interrelated world that, that, that we have built around us often unthinkingly. So thank you so much for the conversation. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP in collaboration with ARC Daily. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu. Thank you.